I'm going to start with a confession. Jump straight into the Disney. I cried my eyes out when I watched Toy Story 3. Did anyone else? Oh, man. At two points, one when the, when the, when the, when the guys, the gang, are all bravely holding hands, and it seems like this is the end, and they're sort of... Um, with their, they're there with one another, for one another. And the, the other point is when, when Andy is um, handing over that box of toys, and I don't know, there's, there's deep things going on with like destiny and um, calling. Oh, I cried. What does it mean that our hearts get moved as we watch these things? Does it mean that we're getting in touch with the deepest reality of things, with the deepest truth? with what is good, with what is beautiful? That's an overarching question for us. Um, today, we begin our next module in our long pattern teaching series that's been going on since January, if you've been tracking with that. The, the plan is we are patterning our lives, seeking to pattern our lives on the life of Jesus and, and enter into that, that way that he is opening up for us, calling us into um, this next bit of the, of the pattern journey is entitled Political Imagination. And under this banner, we have the excuse to get at some really interesting questions, like how are we to approach our enemies? How are we to respond to our enemies? Can violence ever be legitimate? How are we to relate? As citizens of heaven, how are we to relate to a, a sort of secondary citizenship within a nation, a modern nation state? How are we to relate to a national identity? How are we to relate to some of these things that are built on, have been built historically on, on some brutal, lethal violence and continue to be defended to some extent by lethal violence? What's our relationship? to be engaging with those questions? And then how are we to engage within just our, our society more generally? And um, as the church, what's the calling on the church? Is it to try and change the world? Um, if so, how? Uh, what are we bearing witness to along the way? What are our, the ways that we might engage um, with the powers that be? That sort of thing. And it's called political imagination, because the hope is that along the way our imaginations will be awoken into something um, a bit more creative and hopeful than some of what might come to mind typically when we hear the word politics. We're starting today with fundamental issues of power. So as we begin, I'd like you to close your eyes and just bring to mind the face or the name, perhaps, of someone who you would say is powerful powerful person. Okay, hopefully you've got somebody. Um, you can open your eyes again. Would anyone care to share a name that they were thinking of? You can shout it out. I'll even allow you to lower your mask for a moment whilst you do that to help me lip read. Any, anyone brave? A powerful person in your estimation? Boris. Boris, classic. Any others? Putin on the theme here. So I wonder if we had to, we won't go around everybody. If we had time to go around every, hopefully we'd find, I'm, I'm 
as predicted, we find a few um, political leaders, uh, maybe a G7 leader after the, the news um, in recent pictures of news recent weeks. Um, maybe um, Putin, or a classic example of a, a powerful person. Um, but it, as we went around, what you'd find is that there's a whole variety in ways that people are considered powerful. It could be a boss at work holding a position of power, a political leader holding a position of power. It could be a very rich person, and there's a financial power. You know, if you hold the purse strings, uh, relationships change because <laughs> the, um, the, the dynamics of power are at play there. Um, some people are very well connected relationally within a place, so within a, within a neighborhood or within a school gate community, there's a relational power that that person possesses. Um, sometimes it's just a power of personality. Some personality types seem to be able to dominate or influence or steer things in a way that others can't. Um, physical power, brute physical strength. If a soldier walked in with a gun, everything would change because that, that, there's, a, there's a capacity, a capability um, that is, is a real thing, these, these power dynamics. When you think about it, we all have power, and we're all, all of the time, dealing with sometimes very significant imbalances of power. This is the world that we're navigating. For example, a parent and a child. There's a huge imbalance of power there. For example, that meeting in work where there's the expert, that's another power base, someone who's got you know, knowledge is power in many situations. Um, is kind of clashing with the, the nominal boss of the situation who's a bit insecure and the team are kind of drawn towards the person who really knows what they're talking about but he's trying to take us in that direction and, and these power games are going on. Or what about in the church life group when there's a couple of characters who seem to be able to dominate, week in, week out, they dominate the, the space and the conversation and there's a couple of other people who you don't know what they're making of anything because they never seem to get the chance to speak up these are the realities of power. And the big question for us, as followers of Jesus, as we seek to pattern our lives on Jesus, is how are we going to handle our power? How are we wielding power? What are we going to do with it? What's our vision for power? Okay, our reading today is going to be from the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, quite near the front. We're going to start in chapter 4 and verse... 28, and then we're going to flow into chapter 5. At this point in the story of Exodus, which is um, the Moses bit, and Moses by this point has had this vivid encounter with the presence of God in the, in the burning bush, and, and now he's commissioned into uh, his ministry, his mission, what he's going to do with the opportunity that is his life, this very special uh, calling that is upon it. And he comes face to face for the first time with Pharaoh. And with Moses and Pharaoh, we have two very different ways of handling power. Here we go. Verse 28, chapter 4. Moses told Aaron everything that the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, 
they bowed down and they worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of Hebrews The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. So he wasn't actually asking much at this stage in the story, just for the dignity of these these downtrodden people, these slaves within Egypt, to be given a a three-day holiday to come out and worship their God. But the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. So that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Interesting. This pharaoh was probably Ramesses II, historians believe, who, thanks to the incredible mummification process, um, you can now still see a um, high-resolution image of it's it's quite brutal. Um, I haven't got it on the slide, don't worry. Uh, but if, you, if you're so inclined, have a Google later on. Fascinating. But we know from this, he was about five foot seven, but had a very large ego. In fact, pharaohs were considered divine. This guy, Ramesses II, came to power teenager. And early on in his um, career as, as a pharaoh, he, he suffered quite a defeat. So Historians are Egyptologists. They have their own name, don't they? Historians of Egypt. Egyptologists, reading between the hieroglyphics, uh, seem to kind of figure out that what happened was he's walked straight into a Hittite trap. So he aspired to conquer these these people. He's walked straight into a trap, suffered a big defeat, somehow managed to battle his way out of there, and then, like every good politician, spins it round into a story of um, how amazing and indestructible he must be as as their divine king. He was prolific in throwing up massive statues of himself, including this um, relief that depicts him uh, subduing his enemies there on the right-hand side. And then there's Moses offering a different vision of power. So Ramesses is existing right at the top of this pyramid of oppression. The pyramids were built, I think, a thousand years before all of this. But nevertheless, it's quite a good icon for the sort of empire that he was at the top of, propped up on the back of the other people's fear and their sweat and their hard labor and oppression. And he's kept keeping them in check and he's making them work even harder as he sits there and, and controls and holds on to this, this power base that he has. And then there's Moses who employs the, the power that's been invested in him, perhaps in part because of his peculiar, noble, 
adoption, upbringing, that he gets this audience and this opportunity, but also the powers that, that God has given him to, to work some of these signs and these wonders. And even though he's weak in a number of ways, he obeys in this calling to use every bit of opportunity and leverage and power that he has to confront Pharaoh on behalf of the downtrodden people. On the one side, you've got big ego Ramesses playing at being God, not recognizing any other claim to be, to be God, any, any of the, the Lord that these, these Hebrews are talking about. And then on the other side, there's Moses who's fleshing out this vocation of what it means for us to bear the image of God. On the one side, there's domination of others, and on the other side, there's a service of others, recognizing the image of God in even the least in, in that situation. On the one side, there's a, there's a kind of blasphemy, a violence and a suffering, and on the other side is a reverence and a peace and a mutual flourishing. So to bring it right up to date, let's go back to Toy Story 3, and I wonder if Lotso is a bit like a pharaoh sitting on top of this, this kind of oppressive system at Sunnyside daycare center, keeping the other toys in check, preserving his privilege, his comfort uh, at the expense of these new incoming toys who he sends into the, the room to get trashed by the age-inappropriate children, if you know the story. And if Lotso is Pharaoh, then of course, Woody is Moses <laughs> coming in. Let my people go. Moses has his flaws. Woody has his flaws. But they are living courageously for others. They're living into this solidarity. That is my point here. And our hearts are moved accordingly as you see your favorite characters making sacrifices, uh, living bravely, not privileging their own comfort, self-protection, or I'll just have my happy little life over in this corner, but actually walking towards some of the dangers and living into this solidarity. Why are our hearts only moved by one side of that? Our hearts are not moved by the empires of oppression. Could it be that it's because it's tapping into the deepest reality of things, the deepest realities of our existence. Well, this significant philosopher, who will appear on the screens, would say no to that. Significant man with a significant mustache. Does anyone know his name? Nietzsche. It's getting serious this morning. And can anyone spell Nietzsche? I've given you half of it there. Anyone feeling brave? Go on, Rich, give it your best shout. T-S-C-H. Let's reveal. T-S-C-H, is that right? Uh -uh. There was yet another consonant in there. Anyway, this is not important, how you spell Nietzsche's name. What is important is his famously bleak take on reality, on what's the deepest truth of our existence. So Nietzsche talked a lot about a will to power. And his thing was, if, if you boil it down, you know, take away all of the sort of decorations that we might use and things that we claim to find meaning in life. If you boil it down to its reality, our existence is summed up by this will to power, that each of us really are seeking power and to, 
to get ahead and to dominate other people. Uh, maybe in collectively in groups, little alliances are forming for this, but this is essentially what's going on. Really, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. Really, might is right. Really, it's survival of the fittest. This is, and if, and if you're honest, you can accept this reality. And it's been hugely influential. Uh, it's kind of like he was saying, like the, the bedrock to reality is this violent competition. And then all of the stuff of morality, all this talk about goodness and innate goodness, all of this stuff about religion, religious ideas, all of this stuff is kind of just decorative topsoil. But you don't have to drill down far to get to the cold, hard reality of our will to power. This is the substance of, um, this really sets the, the frame for our existence. The gospel tells a very different story. That actually, the, the ultimate reality, the deeper truth still, is the love of God, is the peace of God, is the communion of God. That was prior. And that actually all of the sin, the death, the, the systems of domination and control and oppression, all of that is an imposition upon a good creation that was good, that the substance of that word good. And so um, one moment. So the, the, here it is, the gospel, that the, the creator God steps into the aberration, into the imposition that is our dog-eat-dog, dog, um, brutal at times world. He steps right into that and reveals it to be not ultimately true, not the last, not, not the bedrock of reality. There is a deeper reality. He exposes, Jesus exposes all our self-serving, our empire building, the dominating of others, the, the, the kind of struggle to get ahead in life. He exposes it all as definitively not the way, not the stuff of eternal life. So Philippians 2, that, that earliest hymn celebrating this, this way, this beautifully different way of Christ says that Jesus, unlike Pharaoh, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped at. But Jesus emptied himself. He took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So a Roman cross was, of course, this horribly violent imposition of power. You know, they're, they're, the Roman soldiers that were wanting it to be recognized in unmistakable terms that, that Roman might was right, that resistance was futile, it crushed dissent. Well, this death of Jesus and his resurrection, let it be recognized that this death has exposed and undone all those systems of domination, all our systems of domination that we so easily slip into and build up and, and live our lives within. This death and resurrection displays the deepest truth, the ultimate reality, to be the love and the peace and the communion of God. And that is why 
these stories and these films that we watch can move our hearts and move us to tears. Where you see the, the characters in self-sacrifice, not in asserting their wills and building their empires, but actually in, in pouring themselves out in love for their friends. These, these things move our hearts and make us cry in ways that, that the, the, the other stories never could because it's drilling down into the deepest truth of things, the reality of the God who is love, in whose image we are made. Not that we might lord it over others, but that we might employ every bit of power we have in order that we might all flourish in life together. This stuff is really important, I think. It's really fundamental as we bear witness to the empowering, liberating news about Jesus. That's, that's what we seek to do together. We seek to enter into this way of life and, and amongst us we bear witness to the reality that, that Nietzsche was wrong and that the deepest truth of things is far more wonderful. We're not hopeless romantics playing about in the topsoil, but Jesus has shown us the true bedrock to reality to be the love of God, and we insist, even against the odds sometimes, even when there's so much evidence going the other way, actually we've come to know that it's true. We have soul, and um, do you know what I'm talking about? So, we've got to be those who learn to shrug off the instincts of empire and discover the freedom and the joy of life in the kingdom. So together as the church, wouldn't it be wonderful if this is a place, if this is a community where there is a refreshing lack of precious egos running the show, where we come together and it's not about like trying to get ahead and trying to get onto some prominent position, but actually there's this, this eagerness to serve one another. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this is a place where the powerful and the less powerful come and find each other shoulder to shoulder as brother and sister, as equals, where the, the, the naturally dominant learn self-control, where the previously voiceless are finding their voice, finding a space in which they are dignified, recognized, perhaps they've not been recognized before. But this is a community where we know that each of us bears the image of God. No one's trying to play God and lord it over someone else. Actually, we're each entering into this much more wonderful reality. May our imaginations be renewed. One final thing to say, wouldn't it be wonderful if this was somewhere where people who have suffered the abuse of power actually perceived it to be safe enough for their recovery? And that's not always the case. And so that is our heart, that um, the dynamics such would be no one becomes unchallengeable or anything like that, that there's healthy functioning accountability in place. And we've all got a part to play in that. So that is the, the invitation. We want to lead the way in self-critique and, and all of that stuff. So come join us on that journey. In all of this, the cross is our logo. The power dynamics of God are truly beautiful. They can move hearts like nothing else. 
And the Spirit is at work leading us further into lives that deeply, more and more deeply cohere with this story that God is writing. Should we stand and let's pray together? Lord, we pray for your help. Come, Holy Spirit. And we pray for deliverance uh, this morning. Deliver our imaginations into your truth, into the beauty of holiness. Deliver our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and refresh hope. And where we are powerful, where we have power, give us vision beyond our own comfort, beyond our own empires. And we repent of that and instead help us to pattern our lives on Jesus help us to cohere with your love and maybe even there's a sense here this morning where somebody is uh, fearful of taking on a position of power I just want to speak courage to us that this uh, power is a gift and actually we and it's a calling to, to put it to work for the mutual flourishing of others so you go for it even as we pray for protection along the way, protect our hearts, captivate us afresh. Each morning we pray, Lord Jesus, show us the way. Deliver us from ourselves. Show us more of the, of the love that is the true power the legitimate force in this world. Come, Holy Spirit.